So as I said, turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Um, I, I already know the answer to this uh, because this place is a wedding factory, okay? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, this place is a wedding factory. Uh, I, I, I've been saying to the other elders, I don't think they're in agreement with me, so, but that we should just have a, you know, I don't know, you know, redeemermatch.com or something like that site uh, because this place is a wedding factory. No, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm sort of joking about it, but I'm grateful that God is bringing people together who are part of our church and we get to watch the work that God is doing. But, but weddings are one of those things that people anticipate, right? In fact, um, <laughs> uh, I just was giving, given a wedding invitation this morning, right? And, and just any, uh, do, do you guys know how many days it is till that wedding? I'm speaking to uh, Josh and Amanda. How many days is that? Yeah, some, okay. All right, so um, how about, uh, well, you know, I, I just we saw Eric and Rachel this morning. How many days to your wedding? And how many hours? Okay, well, you know, I, I was just in a wedding yesterday, right? We, we, we got to witness Joe and Jamie's wedding, and I know they've been anticipating that. And you could watch their Facebook post. And it was like, oh, only 12 days. Oh, only, you know, seven days. Oh, tomorrow's the day. You know what I mean? And that's all great. I appreciate that kind of excitement about what God is doing in their lives. But just a wedding day is one of those days that you look forward to and anticipate and count down the days and maybe even think, oh, you know, I can't wait for it to get here. Is that day ever going to get here? And then it gets here and it's, you know, this wonderful, joyous, celebratory event, right? Okay, and, and we've witnessed that over and over here at Redeemer Church because we've had so many weddings. And I also think births are like that as well, you know. And I, in addition to a wedding factory, we also seem to have a baby factory around here. Uh, again, these are good things. You know, I, um, I am always excited uh, when married people have babies. I am so excited. In fact, if you're married, I've probably asked you if you're having a baby yet, right? Is there anyone here that's married? Wait a minute, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Okay, but anyway, births are another one of those things that we anticipate, and we count down the days, and, and eat, you know, and, and of course, it's a little more of a surprise, because babies don't always come on the due day, and then, you know, when they get here, it's this wonderful, joyous, and we can't wait for the baby to get here. We can't wait for the wedding day to get here. Those are things that we anticipate and long for and wait for and, and wonder if that day's ever going to come. Well, today, um, in our sermon text... Um, the passage we're studying in Second Peter, verses three, chapter three, verses one through thirteen, uh, Peter is dealing with one of those kinds of days, one of those days that is long anticipated. We long for, we wait for, and sometimes we might even wonder: Is it ever going to get here? And that day's not yet come. It's the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return. That is the the topic of the sermon text. And hopefully the sermon today as well. We hope that the topic of the sermon is the topic of the text. But I think today as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, we will find this. This is the main point that we want to see from the text today. That the day of the Lord will come when Christ returns and makes all things new. 
The day of the Lord will come when Christ returns and makes all things new. In Peter's day, he was writing to um, a church or churches, the churches in Asia Minor. He was writing to them, and they were affected pretty seriously by those who denied the return of the Lord. They taught, they were false teachers, and we've heard a lot about the false teachers in the last couple of weeks, right? And a lot of judgment about the false teachers, but there were these false teachers, and they were teaching, proclaiming that, that Christ was really not going to return. And because Christ will not return, there will also not really be a judgment. And so that teaching led to uh, a teaching of license and just so, so just sin. You have a license to sin, uh, particularly to engage in sexual immorality so that grace may abound, so you may experience more forgiveness in, in Christ. So this was the false teaching that was going around. It denied the second coming or the return of the Lord. And some in the church bought this erroneous teaching. They heard it from these false teachers, and they believed the lie. They believed the false teaching. They accepted that Christ's return was not a real, true coming event. There were others in the church that that did not accept the erroneous teaching, but the erroneous teaching, the false teaching, did create doubt or discontentment concerning the coming of the Lord. In other words, doubted that, well, maybe it's not really going to, maybe, no, I believe it's going to happen, but maybe it won't be the way I thought. Maybe it won't be the great event, uh, this great day that I should long for, or discontentment. Well, gosh, I wish the Lord would just come back now and shut all these people up. Why is the Lord tearing? Why is he taking so long? Why, why, is, he, why is he slow to fulfill his promise? And then, there were others still that decided, well, let's just avoid the topic altogether. I mean, there's, there's all this controversy over the day of the Lord, the, the coming of the second coming of Christ. There's controversy. Let's just leave it alone. Let's just avoid the topic. There's plenty of other great things for us to spend our time talking about. Let's just meditate on, on redemption. Let's just talk about the forgiveness of sins. Let's just, let's just deal with the death of Christ his, his sacrificial atoning death, substitutionary atonement. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about those things, and let's just leave the return of Christ for, just leave that. It's, it, it's, it's controversial, and, and maybe it's just not that big of a deal. Well, uh, I would say that even today, we struggle with the same kinds of things. Uh, we have doubt about Christ's return. Some, some of us do. Or we have discontentment concerning his return. We, we want to know the day and the hour. We want to know uh, that it is coming. Maybe even we're saying, Lord, come now to, because I don't want to wait anymore. And, and this coming quickly, Lord Jesus, is not for the glory of Christ, but for um, our own um, sinful desire. Or perhaps we fall into that final camp of, well, you know what? I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. It's not really going to be a topic of my consideration or my conversation because either A, it's, it, it's, it's just too controversial, or, or B, um, 
I don't really understand much about it, about this return of Christ. So, like, isn't, I, you know, can I just be a, whatever, you know, a pan millennius or it'll all pan out in the end anyway? Ha, 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 little, you know, whatever. You know, I can just joke, make little jokes about it, but not really think about it or talk about it or decide what I believe. Well, none of this will do, right? Obviously, this will not do. The, the return of Christ is an essential truth of the gospel. The scripture makes it clear that the day of the Lord will come when Christ returns and makes all things new. Let's look together at our text, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Hmm. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This morning, as we continue to look at Second Peter, and particularly this text in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, um, I, we're, we're going to see at least three uh, realities, three truths. We're, we're going to be exhorted to remember the true word. Uh, we will be exhorted to rejoice in God's patience. And then also, we will be exhorted to pursue godliness. So, first of all, concerning this main thought that the day of the Lord will, will come when Christ returns and restores or renews all things. One of the first things we need to remember, we need to be exhorted to, is to remember the true word. Now, recall that in Peter's day, there are those who were falsely teaching that the day of the Lord would not come, that Christ would not would not indeed return, and Peter is reminding those who might doubt, he's reminding those who might 
be discontent. He's reminding those who may want to just simply ignore the reality of, of the day of the Lord. Said, remember the true word that you have heard, the true word that has been proclaimed to you, the true word that has been preached to you. Don't overlook, overlook the, the true word. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and, and Savior through your apostles. Verse 2. Well, what is, what, it, what is the prediction of the prophets? Well, it's the Old Testament scriptures in which the prophets proclaimed the coming day of the Lord. So, so this, the whole of that prophetic word in the Old Testament, and believe me, um, it, it's vast. The, the Old Testament scriptures speaks a lot about the day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord, as promise and prediction. So God, through the holy prophets, is predicting, but also as he's predicting, he's promising. He's promising there will be a day of the Lord where the Son of Man, the Son of God, will return. And yes, when he returns, he will bring judgment of the ungodly, but also he will renew all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so this renewal and restoration of all things and sort of the correction of the effect of the fall. And all of that is one of those precious and very great promises of God that Peter spoke about in chapter 1. And so Peter is bringing to remembrance, reminder, remember the true word that you have heard and you have read that is spoken by the prophets, word and promise of God to you. But not only that, in verse 2, he also talks about the commandments of Christ that they have heard through the apostles. Think back to the Gospels. Think back to the Gospels. Does Jesus give commandments concerning his return? Absolutely he does. Jesus speaks about his second coming and gives commandments to be ready for his second coming. And so... That's what Peter is referring to. He's saying Jesus himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, gave us both promise of his return and specific commandments or instruction for his return, primarily our readiness for his coming and to be looking and longing for his coming and to be preparing for his coming. How can we ignore the, the second coming of Christ and yet fulfill his commands. The reality is we cannot. We cannot love Christ by obeying his commandments if we ignore the reality, if we just put on the back burner and put out of our mind and put out of our thinking and put out of our longing his return. No, Jesus himself commands us to look for, long for, prepare for, and be ready for his return. So Peter says, remember Remember the true word, the word that's proclaimed to you through the prophets and the word that is the commandment of Christ brought to you through the preaching and teaching of the apostles. And then he gives in verses three and four a warning about scoffers. And this is really, this is also kind of in two ways it points to the need to remember the true word. Because first of all, the true word predicts the scoffers would come scoffing. 
So the fact that there are scoffers scoffing, and what else do scoffers do but scoff? I think that's funny. Scoffers come scoffing. And, but anyway, those, the, the, the scriptures predicts that scoffers would come and they would scoff at the second coming. And the fact that they're there points to the truth of the word that they've heard. The fact that they're there is, is a fulfillment of the true word and gives even more, uh, more encouragement and exhortation to believe, remember, and believe the true word that's come from the prophets and from Christ through the apostles. But also, the message of the scoffers gives us exhortation to believe the true word because here is what the scoffers say. Oh, you know what? Nothing's changed. How can you think that Christ will return, that God will intervene in the workings of this planet and time and space since he's never done it? I mean, since the very beginning, since the fathers fell asleep, the Old Testament patriarchs, that's what the scoffers mean by the fathers who have fallen asleep, since, since Abraham has died, you know, since those guys, the, the, the Old Testament patriarchs, pretty much nothing's changed. The, you know, the, the earth has just continued as it has always continued, and God just certainly hasn't intervened. And Peter says, that's just not true. Here's what those scoffers fail to see that God, by the power of his word, created the heavens and the earth. So you have a demonstration of God's powerful word that you should remember and believe because he created the heavens and the earth. He created it all. But then also, by the power of his word, he destroyed it all with a flood, right? He makes reference to the, 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 flo- the flood of Noah that destroyed all flesh. And so here again, we see, we see God intervening by his powerful word in human history, in the events of earth. And those are just two examples, but God has done this countless times throughout redemptive history. God has stepped into human history and in miraculous ways changed and intervened in history, in human history. And so the scoffers ignore this and they ignore the power of God's word that is demonstrated in things like the creation and the flood, and then the really the recreation, if you will, not, not quite, uh, not, not like what we'll see when the Lord returns, but after the flood, the, the, the sustaining of life on earth. God actually intervenes daily, every minute, every moment of the day, he, he intervenes in sustaining this earth. And of course, we see God's ultimate intervention in the events on this planet, in God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. How can the scoffers say that the world has just kind of gone on as it has always gone on from, since the very beginning, since the earth and life existed, nothing's changed, God's not intervened, but yet God has become flesh And dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ, God, the Son, left heaven and came to earth, 
walked on the earth, lived a perfect life, which no one has done except him. And though he lived a perfect life, suffered and died at the hands of angry men, died on a cross to take upon himself our sin, our misdeeds, our rebellion against God, and because he took on our sin and our punishment in death, he was buried, and on the third day he was raised to life, showing us that God has accepted Christ's sacrifice for sin, uh, Jesus defeating death once and for all, and giving us the hope of eternal life, that through turning from our sin and placing our faith once and for all in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life, we might be saved from the wrath and judgment that is to come. That is the greatest intervention of God on this planet that we've ever seen. So how can the scoffers say that everything's gone on without God's intervention at all? Well, they can't because they are motivated by their own sinful desires to deny the truth and Peter says, remember the true word. Remember the predictions of the prophets. Remember the commandment of Christ through the apostles. Even in the warning of the scoffers, or the, 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 yeah, the warning of the scoffers, see that even as exhortation to believe the true word. And then look at how God has demonstrated the power of his word at work in the past. Remember the true word. But not only are we exhorted to remember the true word, we're also exhorted to rejoice in God's patience. Look at verses 8 through 10. There we are reminded, Peter says, don't forget this, that to the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And let's just pause for a moment. Don't get hung up on that. Okay, so don't, don't, do not, do not do this. Oh, every time the Bible mentions one day, that automatically equals a thousand years. So, you know, when the Bible talks about six literal, six days of creation, that's really like 6,000 years or six million years, whatever. You know, don't do that. Okay, that's not what Peter is saying here. Peter's not saying that every 24 hour period we experience, here on earth, or every 24-hour period that the Bible talks about really equals 1,000 years. No. Okay, here's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that God is separate from time. We cannot think about time for us and think that God sees and experiences time in the same way. We are finite, right? That means we have limits, And let's face it, as human beings, we have lots of limits. And one of the limits that we have is the limitation of time, right? Uh, We have only so many hours in a day. We have, you know, only so many years in a life, right? And and we don't have the... We're limited to living in the moment of time that we have. We can't live in the past. And we can't live in the future, right? Because... We're, we are limited by time, but God, who is infinite, is not limited by anything, particularly time. So God does see past, present, and future as just one cohesive 
thing. He sees it all, lives in it all. Okay, so, so God doesn't, isn't limited by time the way we are. And so when we talk about the day of the Lord, we talk about it future. But when God looks at the day of the Lord, he just sees it, right? He just sees it as a reality. For us, it's a reality that has not yet occurred and that we are waiting for and longing for. But for God, it is a reality now. The day of the Lord is a reality, and that's why God talks about the day of the Lord in present tense in the scriptures, okay? Because when when he talks about the day of the Lord in present tense, it's because it's a present reality for him, okay? Now, having said that, here's what Peter wants to encourage us to rejoice in, and it's not God's slowness, but in God's patience. We are not to think of the delay, hmm, the waiting, the anticipation of the day of the Lord as God being slow to keep his promise. This is not slowness as you and I think of slowness, okay? Like, here's how I think of slowness. Invited some people over for dinner. Told them dinner was at 6.30. And it's 6.30, and I have dinner ready. And they are not there. They have not yet arrived. To me, they are late. And they are slow. And they are trying my patience. Okay? All right. So if, so if I ever invite you over for dinner, and I tell you it's at 6.30, and you get there at 6.40, and I, then uh, I'm trying hard to be patient because it's not really a big deal. But it's a big deal. No, no not really. But this is, this is just one of the struggles I have is with lateness. I, like, like when I go somewhere, if I'm not 15 minutes early, I feel late. Okay, I know that's ridiculous. But this is, this is to show you how limited I am and maybe even sinfully bound to time. Okay, all right, but, but if I invite you to my house at 6.30 and I tell you dinner's at 6.30, I'm going to have dinner ready at 6.30, and if you're not there, then in my mind, you're late and you're slow. And some of us... We project that same thing on the Lord. We're like, well, God, you said that, that you were coming soon, that the Lord was coming soon, and, and the day of the Lord is at hand. Well, I think soon has arrived, and you're not here, so it's late. And by the way, how Lindsay wrote that book back in the 80s, you know, about, yeah. So why aren't you here? You're late, Lord. You're slow. Well, Peter says, don't think that way. It's not that the Lord is slow. It is not that the Lord is late, but the Lord is patient. He's patient with you. So rejoice in his patience. And here's what it means for God to be patient. He is waiting for all of the elect to respond in repentance and faith. The Lord, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And, and, and here's, this is how we need to hear and understand that verse, that God is waiting for all of the elect to respond in repentance and faith. And so, so Christ will not return until all of the elect have 
responded in repentance and faith. That's what it means for God to be patient. But in God's patience, guess, here's how we rejoice in it. As we rejoice in God's patience, we have more opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear. Because some of those who need to hear are those that God will lead to respond in repentance and faith. And we have no idea who they are and when that is and when that's going to happen. So we rejoice in God's patience by saying, yes, Lord, you are giving us more opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all who need to hear so that by all means you may save some, and that is to your glory. That is, that's what it means for God to be patient, and so we are to rejoice in his patience, knowing this, that he is not willing that any would perish, but that all of the elect would come to repentance. But here's this reminder, the day of the Lord will come, and it will come like a thief. In other words, God is still calling people to himself through repentance and faith. But don't be fooled. The day of the Lord will come. It will come suddenly, and it will be unmistakable. Okay? You saw some of the description there. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Do any of you feel that you could miss that? Probably not, right? I mean, we're not going to miss that, right? But it's like, hey, you know, I slept through that. You're like, Wow, I didn't, uh, you know, yeah, the roar and dissolving of heavenly bodies and the fire and burning up and yeah, I mean, uh, who's going to miss that? That's unmistakable. And, and the scripture says, come like a thief in the night. Well, that means suddenly. So God's not slow, he's patient because when the Lord returns, he will return suddenly. When the day the Lord comes, it will come suddenly. It's not like he's going to ease into it. It's going to be this gradual thing, and, and, and if we're not careful, we'll miss it. No, if God were slow, if he were tardy, that, then we might expect it to be sort of this slow, ease into it kind of thing that we might miss it if we weren't super aware. No, it's going to come suddenly like a thief in the night, but it's going to be unmistakable. And God is not slow. He's simply patient. Let's rejoice in God's patience. So not only are we remembering the true word, we're also rejoicing in God's patience. And then finally, and of course, you know, this is not the first finally, there's, there's always more than one finally, but this finally is that we should pursue godliness because the day of the Lord will come when Christ returns and restores all things. So in light of that, let us pursue godliness. Look at verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, speaking of the heavenly bodies, uh, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Peter says, because the day of the Lord will come, suddenly, unmistakably, filled with promise, filled with promise, then let us pursue godliness. Why? Well, godliness is one of the few things that will last. Pursue godliness because nothing else lasts. Look at verse 11. Everything else, okay, everything else is going to be dissolved. But what kind of people ought you to be in godliness and holiness? Well, why? Well, because godliness and holiness, that lasts. That's one of those things that will not be dissolved in the, the recreation of the heavens and the earth. Okay, When God recreates and renews all things in Christ, godliness and holiness will last. So let's pursue what lasts. Let's not pursue those things that will dissolve. Let's, let us not give our lives to those things that will be burned up. But let us pursue and give our lives to that which will last. Godliness and holiness will last. But also, Peter says that pursuing godliness and holiness is right because it hastens the coming of the Lord. We see that in verse 12. It says, waiting for and hastening his coming. Now, let's, again, we talked about this last week. Sometimes we get the view from the air. Sometimes we get the view from the ground. The scriptures give us the, the perspective from the air, God's sovereign perspective. And then sometimes we get the view from the ground, God's inspired human perspective of his sovereign work, okay? And so here's what we see from the air. Only the heavenly Father knows the day and the hour. And it has been preordained. God is not waiting for something for men to do. God is waiting for the time, the day and the hour that he has ordained. But yet, part of what God has ordained is that, that the work of his kingdom on earth will be accomplished, that the gospel would be proclaimed and people would come through repentance and faith to Christ So therefore, when we live lives of godliness, and this is the view from the ground, when we live lives of godliness and holiness and are participating in the work that God is doing in redeeming a people for himself or his own possession, then in that way, we hasten the day of the Lord. We hasten his return, not because we change the day and the hour that God has ordained, but we are working with God in the work that he is doing and bringing about the culmination and consummation of all things in Christ. So in that way, we hasten that day. We don't really necessarily bring it about quicker, but we participate in what God is doing. And we have the privilege, we have the privilege and the blessing of participating in the work that God is doing in preparing for the day of the Lord, in preparing for the day of Christ's return. So in light of the coming day of the Lord, when Christ returns to renew all things, then, then let us pursue godliness because godliness lasts. It, is, it endures and let us pursue godliness because it is 
it is part of our responsibility in waiting for and longing for and preparing for the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return. Then pursue godliness because it looks to faith, in faith, to the promises of God. Look again at verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. When we pursue godliness, we are living in faith and looking in faith to the promises of God, this, very, this precious and very great promise of Christ's return. When we live in godliness, we're saying, we're pointing to that in faith and saying, this will happen, this will come. So I will live this way in faith, pointing to and living out the promise of God that I know he will fulfill. So how do we respond to this teaching about the coming day of the Lord when Christ returns and, and, and restores all things? Well, I think that the, the main points of the message today are also the main points of our application because they are exhortations to us. You want to know how to live in response to the coming day of the Lord? Well, remember the true word. Remember the true word. And when I say remember, uh, what I mean to is hold to and cling to and live out the true word. Remember the predictions, promises of God through the prophets. So live out those promises now. Remember the command of Christ taught through the apostles, delivered to us through the writings of the apostles, the writings of Holy Scripture, the Word of God, then let's, let us hold to those teachings, believe that truth, not be fooled when a scoffer comes. Know how to recognize the false teaching because you know the Word of God, or remembering and internalizing and holding on to and clinging to the true Word. Rejoice in God's patience. Thank God as we pray for his patience. Ask him to empower us to live in light of his patience. Don't waste God's patience. God is patiently waiting for the day of the Lord that he has ordained. Let us rejoice in that, but not waste it. In other words, let us be about in obedience to Christ and his commandments, in obedience to God and his word, let us proclaim the good news of the gospel, living out our ambassadorship for Christ, representing him well and rightly to those around us. And then let us pursue godliness. Let's pursue godliness. Let us strive, make every effort in the power of Christ to be and live godly, like God, devoted to him. The day of the Lord will come when Christ returns and makes all things new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your true word, your great and precious promises concerning the day of the Lord and Christ's return when he makes all things new. 
God, I pray that we would remember that true word, rejoice in your patience and pursue godliness, not in our own strength, not because of human effort, because your word is not about human effort. Your word is about your grace given to us that we might live lives of godliness, that we might live gospel-centered lives. So God, we are grateful for your grace. Empower us now by your spirit to live graciously in light of the day of the Lord. In his name we pray, amen.